That sound that you hear is my attention getter chime. It's a very small single note chime that I keep in my apron pocket at all times. I know all of us have some sort of attention getter, whether it be like a phrase or a saying, I say Mona, you say Lisa, or maybe a little bell that you press, but I'm telling you, I've tried them all, and over the years, the thing that I always come back to is this chime. This chime is made by TreeWorks, which is actually my husband's company, and everything about this chime from top to bottom is made by friends of ours right here in Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm sharing it with you today because it really works for me. I use it all day long. In fact, if my students even see me start to take it out of my apron pocket, they quiet down because they know I'm about to play it and need their attention. If you're interested in getting one of these chimes, which are usually, I think, around 12 bucks, dirt cheap, you can find them from our good friends over at Sweetwater. Check their website. Look for TreeWorks Single Note Energy Chime. Thanks, guys. So for the next couple of podcast episodes, we are going to really be talking about clay. I feel like I want to give you a crash course in all things clay, and whether that be kiln fire or air dry clay, because that is the one thing, one of the many things, let's be honest, but the one thing that I really felt that I was lacking in knowledge when I first started teaching and here I was supposed to be an expert in it. It Still, I know I chat about this before, but it just cracks me up that as art teachers, we're expected to be experts in so many different categories. Printmaking, fibers, ceramics, drawing, painting, you name it. Each one of those things you could spend a lifetime learning about, and yet we're supposed to have knowledge enough about each of these topics to share it with our students. Well, I'm going to be sharing everything that I know about kiln fire and air dry clays in these next couple of episodes. However, I have been forgetting a couple of things. So I've also been taking a bunch of questions. I've gotten a lot of questions from social media. Stay tuned for that episode because I will be answering all questions on all things kiln fire and air dry clay. Okay, so let's get right back to it, picking up right where I left off because I actually want to include two more things. In last week's episode, I was chatting with you about all of the supplies you would need to have a kiln fire clay lesson. Um, And if you haven't listened to that and you're like, Cassie, back up a bit, I don't know what you're talking about, give that episode a listen. I'm not going to review everything, so make sure you check it out. But there are two things that I feel like I left off my list. Thing number one is this. It's great to have a little box of cornstarch on hand when you're working with kids, when you're working with clay. If you're using things like stamps or I have a couple of really beautiful plastic doilies, which I love to use, but if the clay is just a little bit too sticky, it's frustrating because the clay will just adhere to the stamp or get all over the plastic doily. So for that reason, it's great to have a little bit of cornstarch on hand. It acts as a great release agent. Here's how I use it. I have the kids sprinkle it. If their clay is a little sticky, sprinkle it into the, um, what is it called? The stamp that they're about to use. Or if they're about to press their clay onto a plastic surface, 
um, have them sprinkle a little bit of the cornstarch on that surface, and it will help release the um, clay a little bit better. It'll also not affect the clay when it's fired in the kiln. The other thing I'd also suggest having on hand is another kind of kitchen item, which is white vinegar. A lot of um, ceramicists actually don't use slip. Instead, they use white vinegar as their glue to bind their pieces together. Vinegar does have a smell to it, and if you're a person that's like my husband who cannot deal with smells of any kind, then you might want to dilute it a little bit. In fact, most ceramicists use about 50% water, 50% white vinegar. So if you don't have time to create a slip, um, or you just need something that's going to act a little bit more of a, a better binder, perhaps, try having this on hand for your students to use. Your whole room's going to smell like you guys are decorating Easter eggs, and that's okay. Okay, now let's talk about the setup for clay. Because clay setup and takedown can be so overwhelming, it's tough to just do it with one grade level at a time. And with my schedule, my classes, they come back to back, and I don't have a moment between a lot of my classes to swap out supplies. Not only that, but when one class is working with clay, the word on the street travels real fast. If you're working with clay with your fourth graders and third grade rolls up to your door, they're going to expect to be doing the same thing, or you might have a mutiny on your hands. For that reason, I do what a lot of art teachers do. I do something called Clay Week, and it usually ends up being Clay Weeks, lasting about two weeks at my school. I set up for clay, and I do nothing but clay projects with all of my students for about two weeks. It's messy. There is a thick layer of dust on every stinking surface. There are clay projects everywhere, but it's a ton of fun, and it also means one clay setup and one clay tear down, and also like one massive clay cleanup. My custodian buddy Joe is always like, when are y'all going to be done working with this dusty stuff? It, and, and then you guys know this, when there's enough clay in the room, the kids do that thing where they're skating across the room because they're just sliding around on that layer of dust. Good times. Now let's talk about supply gathering of clay. So after I give instruction, and I know I've shared before, I do that with my students sitting with me on the floor, and I use my Elmo to demo clay projects. My favorite way to demo clay projects is to film a video first, just because they can all really see exactly what I'm doing. When I have a video, I also don't forget a lot of the vocabulary and the things I want to tell them. Um, and there's also less interruptions. For some reason, my students will pay far more attention to video Stevens than they will for real Z Stevens. I also have plenty of clay videos on my YouTube channel if you want to give those a go in your room or just kind of follow along with me and maybe see how I go about sharing clay with my students. It might help you out a little bit. So after instruction, my students head over to our supply gathering area, which is a spot that I call the store. And it's just a cafeteria table where my students gather their things. At the store, they grab a ball of clay, um, although you may not want to refer to it as a ball of clay, depending on what age group you're working with, middle school teachers. I know you know what I'm talking about. I also have them get a paper plate and a plastic sealed bag. 
Now, depending on the project, my students usually get a ball of clay about the size of an orange, and I always have a bag of extra clay on hand, and I encourage my students, hey, when you run out of clay, go get another piece of clay. I always over-order clay, and I'll talk more about that in a moment, but I do that because I want to make sure my students have enough clay to create whatever it is that we're working on and whatever amazing thing they have in mind. Now, the plate is for my students to place their completed piece on at the end of art class. Before starting, they have to write their name and their teacher code on that plate, and it's usually just like a cheapy, flimsy kind of paper plate. When class is over, they have to sandwich that plate between their hands because it is such a flimsy plate with one hand on top and one hand on bottom before walking their clay project very carefully to me. No matter how many times you emphasize that they need to move carefully, there's always that moment when you hear a splat and you hear an oh and you see a smushed clay project sitting on the floor. It happens and it just means they're going to have to redo it all over again next time. Now with 30 minute art classes, I don't often have time to write my students' names on the bottom of their clay projects. And yes, I do that for them. I've tried many a times to get them to write their names on the bottom of their clay projects, but it's difficult to read. They write it too deep and it's just a lot easier if I take care of it. I don't have time to do that while they're working. I'm usually running around helping them out. So when their clay project is sitting on a plate with their name on it, usually at the end of the day, I'll go through all of those projects, give them the wiggle test, make sure everything's going to make it to the kiln and then out again, and then I write their name on the bottom. I write their name on the bottom of their clay project with a skewer stick. And then I just kind of toss the plates back at the store and have the kids reuse them next time, just drawing a line through the previous person's name and writing their name on it. Now, what about those projects that don't get finished in one class period? Well, that's what the plastic bag's for. If you're going to see your students the following day, then simply have them put their clay project carefully in the sealed bag and without actually sealing the bag closed, I just tell them to tuck the opening of the bag under their project. And then they place their piece on their plate, which has their name. If your students won't be returning to class for, let's say, a week or even several days, then I, what I have them do is I get a damp paper towel and just one of those cheapy ones. They drape that damp paper towel over their clay piece before putting it in the bag and without sealing it closed. This will prevent the clay from drying out and make it still workable for them to use like in a week's time. Now, when your students are working with clay, the possibilities of what they can create with clay are really endless. And if you need some inspiration, I have a lot of projects on my blog. Um, I also have a lot of projects that are friendly for um, kiln fire clay in my book, which is called Clay Lab for Kids. You can find it online. Um, it has 52 clay projects in it. So there's a lot for a whole bunch of age ranges. While that book was written for the kilnless, like I said, you could still use so many of those projects, and I know I have, for kiln-fired clay. Before working with clay, I like to share clay projects with my students, completed pieces. And I show them some that I have made. 
I show them some from working artists and also from kid artists, students who maybe have moved away or left theirs behind. And we talk about the differences between wheel-thrown clay and hand-built. Because I don't have a wheel in my room, we then turn our focus to hand-built pieces. But I think it's really important for kids to know that, hey, those plates and those mugs in your cabinet at home, that's made out of what we're working with today. And how can we spot the difference between something that's hand-built and something that's thrown on a wheel? And I just like to share with them how the bottom of wheel-thrown pieces aren't, aren't usually glazed because that's how they set in the kiln. You can kind of usually see how perfect and precise it is. Sometimes you can even see the, the rings, the um, concentric rings that kind of are the uh, hallmark, I guess you would say, of a wheel-thrown piece, right? So I think it's great for kids to see that. And then when they go home, they're eating dinner that night, they can look at that plate that they're eating on and be like, oh, this is what we talked about in art class. We're working with the same material. I know how this was made. It was thrown on a wheel, glazed, and fired in the kiln. Now, I tell my students that when we're working with our hands, you can build anything out of clay, anything, as long as you follow a couple of rules. Rule number one, all clay projects must be cookie thickness. Anything that's thinner than a cookie is too fragile. When it dries, it'll probably snap and break. And anything that is thicker could explode in the kiln. Now, I learned this um, cookie lingo from my really good buddy, who I mentioned in the last episode, Danielle McDaniel, otherwise known as the Clay Lady. If you're not familiar, I would strongly recommend you hop online you do a little Googling, you go to her website, which is at Mid-South Ceramic, and if you're ever in Nashville, do take her classes. She is amazing. Rule number two, I tell them that they always have to do what's called slip and score. And it's then that I show my students how to use a toothbrush and how to connect pieces of clay. Then we go back to those hand-built pieces that I brought out for them to look at. Now, while demonstrating how to create a sphere, a slab, and a coil, I tell my students that you guys can create anything out of clay with a sphere, a slab, and a coil. Anything you can imagine can be made with those three things. And then just to prove my point, I'll hold up a piece, a, a hand-built piece, and I'll say, okay, let's look at this one. How was this made? And they'll point to a slab for the face. Um, a sphere was used for the eyes. Mm, a coil was made for the whiskers. Great. And then we get kind of like imaginative. And I say, okay, imagine you want to make a dog. What would you use for the body? Mm, maybe a coil. What would you use for the face? Mm, perhaps a sphere. So if you really get them thinking about those three things and how they can use those things to create, or if you get them looking at finished hand-built pieces and see just how it was made, it begins to kind of break down the mystery of how they can go about building things with clay. What this also does is it lets kids know that they are capable. You know, so many of them are like, I've never used clay before. I don't know how to do this. But if you show them on the front end that they can, 
that they can make what's in their mind without your help, that they are capable if they just stop, think, give it a shot, and believe. The other thing is, is that introducing a sphere, a slab, and a coil prevents them from just like, you know, pounding the clay flat and drawing on the clay. Because let's be honest, if you just give clay to kids, that's their go-to gig. That enrolling thousands of snakes. Clay is for sculpting. Kids need to be taught to use it that way. Now, just a side note, when students are using a sphere that is larger than a gumball to create and their sculpture, it cannot be a solid sphere because a solid piece of clay is going to explode in the kiln. But a hole can be poked in the backside of that sphere to allow the moisture to escape. And a pencil or a carving tool or a skewer can be used for that. And I share that because a couple of years ago, my students were making bobbleheads. This is a project from my book. And at the end of the day, I was exhausted. I left without checking. I always check the pieces to make sure, like I said, I give them the wiggle test. I put their names on them. And I also am checking to make sure that we don't have solid pieces of clay. Well, I totally forgot. The next day when I went back to school, the pieces were kind of edging near, I wouldn't say leather hard. They weren't there yet. So it was more of like a, a, a greenware, I suppose, but not soft and squishy. And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. But I was able to put my pencil inside some of the bobbleheads and poke holes in those areas that were very thick, way, way thicker than a cookie. I just knew those pieces were probably going to explode. But I decided to let them dry for a very long time. And we're going to talk about dry time in a moment. I mean, we're talking probably two weeks I let them dry. And y'all... These bad boys were thick and heavy and not a single one of them exploded in the kiln. So just do a check. Make sure if they have a, a full sphere, give it a couple of pokes. Even multiple ones will work. Usually I do it on the bottom so it's not visible from the top. That'll help the air dry out the clay better. So kids demonstrating how to roll a sphere and a coil, that's easy. But how do you get them to create a slab? So in my art room, I have a slab roller. I don't use the slab roller. Um, and, and I don't use rolling pins. I don't use um, stacked sticks or whatever it is to kind of get the, the thickness of the slab correct. I don't use any of that. Instead, I have my kids pound their clay into a slab. What I do is I tell them if we're doing a slab-based project or they have to create a slab to roll their clay into a ball, and then thump it down on their clay mat, and then ball their hands into fists and start pounding with the soft, squishy side of their fist. It'll sound like a roll of thunder in your room. The kids absolutely love it. It actually kind of works the excitement, the giggles, and the silliness out, and then they're left with a flattened piece of clay. Now, it will be lumpy and bumpy from where they pounded it, so I simply have them peel it off their clay mat, kind of like fruit roll-up style, flip it over, and then they start working on the smooth side. Now let's chat about recycling and reusing clay, kiln fire clay. That's our focus, right? When art class is over, any extra clay, we save it all. I have my students kind of ball up their extra clay and we place it 
back into a, usually the bag that the clay came in. I found those bags to be great. They usually are watertight. We throw all of the clay back into that bag, and I sprinkle a little bit of water into the bag, and I seal it for the next day. And this will allow the clay to absorb the water and become workable again. I take the bagged clay the next day, and as crazy as it sounds, I slam that bag down really hard on my floor a couple of times. If you have, like, teachers in your room hanging out in the morning grabbing coffee— They will think you've absolutely lost your mind when they catch you just like going to town, whacking a bag of clay on the floor. And also, make sure the bag is airtight. I've had, or watertight, I've had my share of times where I've been slamming the bag on the floor and then just like this huge explosion of wet clay goes shooting across the room. My custodian loves me, as you can imagine. But doing this, this whole bag whack thing, it'll actually help wedge the clay and it kind of reshapes it. Now, I know if you're a clay person, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, it does not wedge the clay. I know, I know. You will have to take it out of the bag. If it's super duper sticky when you remove it from the bag, then what you'll need to do is just like let it sit out for maybe 10 minutes um, and dry out a pinch. But you will need to re-wedge that clay. Now, explaining to you how to wedge clay That's not something I can do. So what I would recommend doing is just do a little bit of Googling. It's just like kneading bread. You'll probably want to do it on a surface that's covered with canvas, something that can help absorb some of that moisture from the clay. You could also just use a piece of plywood, sheetrock I hear works really great. Um, It's actually a lot of people mention that when working with clay to let clay dry out on, to set projects on. I've never used it, but I've heard it brought up many times, so that would probably be a really good surface. Even if you went to the thrift store and bought a a little table that you then covered with canvas, that could be your clay wedging table. And when you're done wedging the clay, then you just kind of form it back into that big cube shape, slice it with your wire cutter, and distribute that clay to your students. So never throw away any extra clay. Even if it's like you're done with your clay unit for the year, still you might want to hang on to that clay. Clay is, it's, you know, not expensive, expensive, but if you're like me, every penny kind of counts. So you'll want to save it and you can reuse that clay from year to year. Now, over the years, I've become the proud owner of a couple of bags of brand new rock hard clay. In fact, I have a couple right now in my um, kiln room. One acts as my doorstop. Uh, Actually, I have like two or three of these giant clay brick doorstops. Super handy to have around, right? But I know that it's tempting to be like, oh, this clay is ruined and just throw it away. It's not. There is a way to bring back to life a brick of clay, an entire brand new bag of clay. All you have to do is this. For a solid brick of clay, Try adding a couple of cups of water to the clay and reseal it. Now, normally people would say poke holes in the clay and pour water in and reseal. But I'm talking about if you have a piece of clay that is completely dried out through and through. Pour a couple of water, cups of water into the bag, seal the bag, and then place the bag of clay into a large bucket. Fill that bucket until the clay is completely covered. Now, remember, the bag is sealed. It's just sitting in a bucket filled with water. Allow the clay to sit in that bucket for about a week 
before you remove it. And when you remove it, it should be as good as new. Now, let's talk about one more thing before we call it quits. And I know I'm getting a little long-winded here, but there's so many. This is your crash course, y'all. There's so many things to talk about with clay. I mentioned this earlier. Let's talk about dry time. Before firing your students' clay projects in the kiln, the clay projects will need to be completely dry. When talking to clay folks, you know, you learn words like greenware or bisque, and you might not have a clue what those mean. So I'm going to give you the skinny and why those words are really important, because I did use the word greenware and leatherheart earlier. So greenware are clay pieces that have been created, but they're not yet ready to be fired in the kiln. So when you touch them, like it's maybe a day or two after your kids have made them, they feel really cool to the touch, and that's because they're still retaining water. Clay pieces have to be thoroughly dry before being fired, and if they're not dried thoroughly, um, they explode. Here's a little bit of the, the science or whatever behind that. As the clay begins to heat in the kiln, any water inside of the clay piece is going to turn to steam. And the pressure from that steam trying to escape the clay piece, that's what causes the explosion. I mean, if you think about like if you're boiling water on the stove, if you put a lid on top of the pot, it's going to start to rattle and shake. Water starts to overflow. That steam can't be contained in the pot. And your clay project is the same. The steam cannot be contained inside. So how do you know when pieces are ready to be fired in the kiln? Me, I always dry my clay pieces about a week or two weeks before that initial firing. And I know that may sound really excessive, but y'all, I have exploded many clay pieces in my kiln over the years, and it is heartbreaking for my students and for me. I've blown up many of my own pieces, but there are other ways to also know if your clay pieces are ready to be fired besides just like waiting it out a week or two because even a week if you live in a humid place like Tennessee might not be long enough. So before you do that first firing, you'll um, want to make sure the clay piece is what's called bone dry. And this clay term means that the piece is no longer holding any water at all and it's now ready for the first firing in the kiln. And here's how you can tell if pieces are dry enough, if they are bone dry. When you touch them, they should feel room temperature. They should not feel cool to the touch. If you can't tell by touching with your hand, try putting the clay piece to your cheek. And it should, again, feel room temperature, not damp or not cold. You could also place a clay project on like a piece of copy paper if the copy paper wrinkles a little bit when you remove the piece, that means there's still water in the piece. If it's bone dry, you can go ahead, you can load up your kiln. The beauty of firing um, bone dry pieces is that these pieces actually can touch in the kiln. You can stack the, these pieces together and they're not going to melt, they're not going to adhere. And that first firing that you're doing that's called a bisque fire. If your students make slab pieces like tiles or masks or frames or whatever, you need to be sure that these flat pieces of clay dry evenly so that the air can circulate throughout them. For example, many years ago, I had my students make clay masks and I just let them 
dry out on a shelf. And when I came back the next day, the outer edges of the mask were dry-ish. And in every single mask, this huge crack had formed. And that was because as the clay was drying unevenly, it was starting to you know, expand, contract, pull apart in a variety of different ways because it wasn't drying evenly. Now I know that if you're going to create a slab piece, you need to have those pieces dry out on a piece of sheetrock or on what I use is upholstery foam that I purchased from Joann's. Not only do I place the pieces on the foam, but I also put another piece of foam on top. What that does is it creates just enough weight on top of the slab pieces to prevent them from curling up. So if you've ever made projects with your kids that are slabs and you've noticed they've start to curl at the edges, that's because it's drying unevenly. Now, when you're loading that kiln, like I said, with these bone dry pieces, they can be touching, they can be stacked, but you will need to be extra careful because these pieces are in their most fragile state. And just in case there's any moisture in that clay, you'll need to be um, careful and make sure that you fire your clay on the slowest setting. Anytime you're firing a clay piece for the first time, my general rule of thumb is always to fire on the slowest setting. And what that means is, is that your clay, when it's heating up, it's going to heat up very, very slowly. It's going to take a long time, and that will help further dry out your pieces. And if you have pieces in your kiln room that need to be dry, keep them in the kiln room because the heat of the kiln will also help to dry those pieces out. And once those pieces have been bisque fired, that means they've been fired once. They're now ready for um, glaze or paint or whatever you see fit. They'll now be in a more permanent and stronger state. And I think at 30 minutes, this has been your clay lesson for today. Next time, let's talk about storage of clay pieces because I know that's a struggle for a lot of y'all. Glaze and glaze alternatives. And don't forget, I will be coming back around for all of you friends who don't have a kiln, talking to you about all kinds of air-dry clays and answering your questions. So be sure to send them my way. And guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast episode and you know that other art teachers or friends of you will, do you mind sharing it? I would really appreciate that. Um, Yeah. Thanks, guys. And we'll be talking clay real soon. Bye-bye.